0: Welcome to AvTalk Episode 7, The Day It Has Been. Jason, I don't know about you, but I definitely picked the wrong day to stop sniffing glue.
1: Oh, it's been a day. Even from just work, we had a board meeting and then a whole bunch of news, and then the government started meddling with air traffic control, and it just kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, so we're recording Monday, the 5th of June, and
0: it's just passed in... UTC, it's just past midnight on the 6th of June, and we've got all sorts of flyover bans and landing and takeoff bans going into place affecting Qatar. Domestically here, we had a long day with the proposal for air traffic control in the United States to be privatized and taken away from the Federal Aviation Administration. That plan has just come out. We're still looking into all the particulars, such as they are, and we want to do, we want to talk about it, but we want to talk about it and do the topic some justice. So, in the intervening two weeks after this episode, we're going to get together with some folks who know a lot more about this topic than we do, and we're going to bring you a much more focused and in depth conversation about air traffic control privatization in our next episode in episode eight.
1: That's right. just to clear up some confusion before we leave that topic, nothing actually happened today. The federal government revealed its intent to do this thing that's been proposed and almost done in the past, but the signing today didn't actually do anything. They actually have to pass legislation and you know do the whole government process thing. So The signing today really didn't do anything, but it sets the stage for what they want to do.
0: Right, right. There was a, a mock bill signing yeah. It's unclear to me what was actually the president signed something but it's I think unclear he to me exactly drew a, think a, 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 he drew an airplane I think you know I I would I would be okay with that just just draw airplanes
1: <sighs>
0: so in things in government activity that has actually taken place the ban on qatar registered flights flying to and from saudi arabia bahrain and the United Arab Emirates has gone in effect in three hours and a few minutes at 4,0400 UTC. The ban for Egypt goes into effect for Qatar flights, and there has been some significant routing
1: constraints placed upon Qatar registered flights. Yeah. so This all happened rather quickly. Last night as I was going to bed, I saw a tweet from, I think it was BNO News saying, Saudi Arabia cuts ties with Qatar and closes all borders and said, huh, this is going to get messy somewhat quickly. Woke up this morning and it's suddenly a list of of what, like nearly 10 countries that have completely cut ties with Qatar?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if we're quite that high yet, but who, who, the list may have grown since since I last checked, but as far as as far as aviation is concerned, there's really only four. Well, the Maldives as well, but oh, as no, far as
1: as far as overflights are concerned, that that's less of an issue, less less of a restricting issue. Most significantly, right now, is flights between the countries that are quibbling. I guess so. These airlines have stopped flying between their respective countries and cities. And Qatar Air Arabia, Air Cairo, Egypt Air, Emirates, Etihad, Fly Dubai, Gulf Air, and Obviously, Qatar is not flying back towards those cities and countries, so a lot of flights canceled to and from Doha.
0: Right. and Then the flights that are still operating by Qatar Airways are now – there's one road in and one road out from Doha to get out of the Bahraini FIR into Iranian airspace to then go onward to other destinations.
1: Yeah, Qatar is in a weird position. They are It's a little nation, and it's surrounded by much bigger nations. But for some reason, Bahrain actually controls almost all of the airspace around Qatar that isn't Saudi Arabia. So if Qatar wants to operate flights in and out, it has to get along with Bahrain, which has basically said, you're going to fly, but you've got to do it on our terms and through this one single point.
0: Right. So they've got, they've got an entry and an exit point into Iranian airspace, the Iranian authorities have said, here are some prescribed routes that you can follow to get through our airspace. And so, flights that would normally fly west from Doha through Saudi Arabia, through Egypt, into places like Barcelona or Milan, or onto places in Africa, those are all now either routing around. The Horn of Africa to the south, or flying north through Iran and Turkey, following with the northern European flights. So it's, it's really constricted a lot of traffic.
1: Yeah, so we're watching this one flight, Qatar 1332, from Khartoum to Doha, and it is flying south through Ethiopia, then through northern Somalia, then off the coast of Yemen, because I think Yemen is also not happy with Qatar. Yeah, but then that's goes- not new. No, no, that's not new. But then it goes through Oman and then north of the UAE, not to go in that airspace, then it enters Iranian airspace and then down through the Bahrain entry point. So that is going to add a lot of flight time it, for that I, flight.
0: We're looking at an extra, you know, in the hours range as far yeah, as additional flight. This is flight not minutes, time.
1: this is hours. So possibly
0: up to 3 hours. So some flights are affected, you know, a few minutes you know the the long haul flights that would normally fly a different exit from the Bahrainian FIR through Iran up through Turkey. They're taking a little okay. bit more of a an easterly route, and so that's affecting flights up a few minutes. But flights to yeah. Africa, those we're looking at hours, and and we don't know what's going to happen with Qatar's flight to Rio.
1: Yeah, that's already an extremely long flight, and adding any flight time to that is going to be problematic. So perhaps it's canceled or or perhaps they opt for a a technical stop somewhere
0: along the way. So we'll have to see how that pans out.
1: This is really clogging up the Iranian airspace, which if you've ever looked at it on the site, Iran is basically like an aircraft superhighway between the rest of the world and the Middle East. It's like a single file line south and a single file line north. And it's having to absorb all these extra flights from Qatar that have to detour. Where they normally wouldn't. And I guess the overfly permits that like Qatar is having to <laughs> pay for entry to Iran right now must be nice.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, the interesting thing is, is that a lot of airspace was opened up in Saudi Arabia to take the pressure off of Iranian airspace. After Iraqi airspace was closed and Syrian airspace was closed, because that's how the flights used to get from the Middle East to Europe. So, this, I mean, a massive lesson in the
1: geopolitics of, of air travel. And for those of you wondering why all of this is happening, we're not going to get into that. Go to CNN or something and figure it out. We're just here for the aviation aspect. <laughs> it all stems from the severing of diplomatic ties
0: and, and some knock on effects of, of travel. And then we pick up the conversation from there. That's right. Backtracking, it's just it'll be interesting to see how long this lasts, whether or not this becomes the new normal, and and how that affects. I mean, just all sorts of things beyond you know Qatar Airways, but also flights in and out of Doha operated by other airlines, and and how the the cancellation of, of so many flights in such a small region will really kind of play out.
1: Yeah. And obviously, Qatar is one of these major super connecting Middle Eastern airlines. So if you were due to fly, let's say, New York to Qatar and then transfer to somewhere in Saudi Arabia or one of these other countries that they're not getting along with, you're kind of almost out of luck right now. They will reroute you to the nearest allowable city. But other than that, there's not much they can do. Right. So it it
0: definitely something we're keeping an eye on to see how the aviation aspect of this Plays out, so it'll be. We'll revisit this. I guess hopefully we'll be able to to
1: draw some conclusions in our next episode, but we'll we'll see. Right. And speaking of things that are complicated and (laughs) affect aviation, it's it's, it's a it's a rough episode, is what this is. Yeah. What major airline had a bit of a meltdown recently? Is it Fuji Dream?
0: No, that that was two episodes. Okay. Let's say British Airways.
1: Yeah, that's their right. their hamster wheel broke, oh. if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think all their hamster wheels
0: broke <laughs> at the same time.
1: Which is <laughs> the main one, the backup hamster wheel broke. They all went on
0: strike. Yeah. So, I, Jason, do you want to kind of lead us into sure. lead us into yeah. the so to the
1: dark ages? Airlines are big. They have a lot of legacy technology behind them. Everything is computer-driven, highly complex. One system operates with another, and operates with another. You've got reservations, you've got dispatch for aircraft, you have baggage systems, and they all have to play along or nothing works. But it turns out none of it can play along if a technician unplugs it, which is what happened last week where a maintenance worker in BA's Heathrow, I guess their computing facility literally unplugged a universal power supply, uninterruptible power supply to their servers and in a panic just plugged it back in, which apparently sent an uncontrolled power surge to all the servers and killed the airline for more than a day. So don't do that. Yeah, don't unplug things. And if you do, ask ask somebody what you have just (laughs) unplugged before you plug it back in. So this basically took BA at Gatwick and Heathrow offline for an entire Saturday and a good chunk of Sunday, I think. Initially, it was they were going to resume flights past 3 p.m., I think. And then they just outright canceled for the entire day. And obviously, when you shut down a major global airline like British Airways for an entire day, that is tens of thousands of passengers who all need to be rebooked on flights, which takes days. Right.
0: And, and that's almost the worst part of it. Is that when you yeah. when you're dealing with something on that large of a scale? And we've seen this before with, with other airlines, where the Delta, you know, Delta had their their technical issues. United's had some in the past, and Southwest had some as well. Where where the issue isn't necessarily the fact that I mean, the issue is always something very wrong happened. But then following on, how do you accommodate you know tens of thousands of people? Because you have people booked on flights the next day already, right. and and there's the way airlines operate now. There's not a lot of excess seating. We're talking about this in an industry where the you know the why am I blanking on the term here, Jason? Help me out. The number of you know load factor. Thank you. Load factor. Where load factors are high. Read your mind. Thank you. You did. And so now we're we're looking at you know. It takes days upon days to recover from something that-
1: I mean, it it takes days to restore an airline back to normal after a thunderstorm. Yeah. Let alone shutting down the airline for more than a day. Right. But we've seen it before. We've seen it again, and every time something like this happens, we see politicians and business leaders yell, why are the airlines using such antiquated technology? This, This must be changed. We need to pass legislation. And I think they sometimes forget how large and complicated of machines airlines are, yeah, and that's
0: one massive part of it, and the other is that airlines are so and this is anytime something inconvenient or or bad happens to you know a very very public company i mean it it's right. it's easy to pick up on. Where when this happens to a company that that isn't as, isn't as public or doesn't affect as many frontline you know retail customers as quickly as something going bad in an airline industry does, you get a different response.
1: Right. When Netflix goes down, I do something else. I'll watch cable or I'll watch YouTube or God, I'll go outside, maybe. When an airline stops running, people stop moving. And people sit and people wait and people get angry.
0: Right, right. So it's I mean, would I like to see, you know, a lot of different a lot of different things in the airline industry? Absolutely. I mean, there of course we modernization would be a fantastic thing, but I mean, trying to move, you know, something as massive as an airline, you know, forward quickly, you're more more than
1: likely to break something in that particular and sometimes it happens flawlessly southwest is one of the biggest airlines in the world and they cut over their reservation system recently with somewhat i think it was with no side effects it went quite perfectly yeah, so and, it does happen and american
0: sometimes. did did i mean unless i am misremembering this when they when they combined with, with the us airways system that it was pretty it, quiet it was pretty yeah. i mean there there weren't too many weren't too many issues there so i mean you know it, it's one of those things where it, when, when it goes right it goes right and nobody notices and that's a good thing
1: Yeah, when it goes bad, airlines have definitely learned over the years about combining reservation systems and other systems. That be careful, Mm -hmm. but remember, don't be like BA. Don't unplug your entire server farm. That's bad. Well, I mean, it, it it just kind of,
0: and I'm not a an extremely technical person, but it seems to me, and and feel free to write us at podcast at fr24.com or let us know on Twitter or Facebook, if you are a person who is knowledgeable in these things,
1: that you shouldn't be able to unplug an entire airline. No, you shouldn't be able to to unplug an entire company no matter what it is that company does. But I did read this very thought out, I think it was a Dutch blog about what happened. and It's like any accident in aviation, there's no one point of failure, it's always a cascading. cascading, a series of events that leads to the end result, and this was someone unplugged a thing, and then the other thing didn't work, and then the backup didn't work, and then something else happened, and then this unexpected thing happened elsewhere, and it's never just literally a guy unplugged a thing. There's a series of events that go horribly wrong, but why don't we, why don't we talk about happier things? I, I was going to
0: say, why don't podcast. we slowly
1: transition from
0: bad things and things that, that are causing people headaches to good things that no one talked about? perhaps? Yeah. Okay. Talk to me about something happy. So the Airbus A321 Neo, and we've talked about the the Neo series in past episodes. So the A321 Neo entered service last week and- Shh, don't tell anyone though. <laughs> the, and we, we mentioned this briefly in, in, in a previous episode where Virgin America ordered the A321 Neo, was the launch customer- It entered service, and not a peep from the airline, because in the intervening time period from when they ordered the plane to when it was delivered and entered service, they were purchased by proudly all Boeing Alaska, which brought an Embraer E one seventy five to Payne Field today, where Boeing is all sorts of ironing located
1: to launch the new passenger terminal. So. I think there was one tweet from Virgin America about the three twenty one Neo. It was, I think there it was, it was, was like maybe half a tweet a couple, when they took delivery. They they from Airbus. Even, I don't even think they mentioned
0: the revenue flight.
1: No, and remember, this isn't just Virgin America's first three twenty one Neo. This is the first ever three twenty one Neo in commercial service, and the design of it was locked in probably several months or probably years ago, and it is fully kitted out as Virgin America would have. On an aircraft. So there's nice seats, power outlets, seat back entertainment, Wi Fi, nice cradle recliner seats up front. It is the opposite of what Alaska will put on their aircraft, which is just seat and power outlet. So these will be sticking around for a while. They're not going to get rid of them, but Alaska doesn't really want to talk about them too much. Or at all, really. Yeah, or at all. They're there. They're flying Transcon for Virgin America right now. The first route was. SFO to DCA and back yeah. it'll make its way into some other markets like JFK and I think Boston. But yeah, it's it's out there, but you'd be hard pressed to find it. I thought it was at least worth a a single mention, you know, but
0: apparently they're really it seems odd to me. You know, it that I mentioned it. I
1: I meant from the airline. Oh. But sorry. it just seems odd to me that that they wouldn't even mention it at all. Yeah, it's just not in their roadmap they don't they i mean they're taking them because they don't have a choice yeah it's like here's a delicious cake that your predecessor ordered would you like to eat it or put it in the fridge or freezer well put it in the freezer let, let someone else deal with it i would like to eat the cake should eat it eat it light the candles and celebrate okay fine yeah twist my arm well okay what else
0: do we got that's Good news that nobody talked about. Now, some good news that, that I would love to talk about. We installed new receivers on polar bears in the past month. Polar bears. Polar so bears. they
1: have a, a collar with an antenna sticking out if, if wishing only made it so.
0: So May was our, we had our, a single day record, 182,790 flights tracked in a single day, which That's is- kind of a lot. Kind of a lot. And if that's happening in May, I can only imagine what July and, and August will be like because those are much busier months. So that was an impressive feat, I think. And I hope other people do too. But we also installed two really cool receivers one in Pond Inlet, Canada, and the other in Hopen, Svalbard, Norway. Of course. I mean, who hasn't? And, and if you're unfamiliar with either of those locations, that's fine. Because most people are. So, Pond
1: Inlet is far, far North Canada. When you reach the end of the world, keep going another couple hundred miles and you will end up in Pond Inlet. Correct. Population is 1,600. <laughs> it,
0: I mean, it, it's it's actually quite, you know, it, it's-
1: It's got people. It's got people.
0: So, it, it basically, you, you go halfway up Greenland and make a left, or just go- Due north from Ottawa, and you'll get there. It's beyond a Akaliuit, or I hope that's we're, we're going to have to figure out how to pronounce that eventually. Where the the now famous Swiss diversion happened, where they replaced a, a GE90 engine in negative thirty. So that's that's a really cool, really cool new receiver. And then the other one on Hopin is on a tiny sliver of an island. South
1: of the the main kind of Subalbert Island area, it's like a nothing. It's the kind of thing you look out the window when you're at thirty two thousand feet and say, "Oh, look at that! Oh, it's gone." Yeah, it's tiny, but it has it has a a small settlement
0: there that is now hosting a receiver, so it's adding coverage on the the northern ends, kind of as a as a supplemental until we you know continue to move
1: beyond that and hey pond inlet does get flights every now and then i mean nothing commercial but they have supply runs in the summer when you can actually get an aircraft there you go yeah so hopefully one of those vegetables milk they're flown in from montreal cool we should probably find one of those flights we'll do our best to find one we i mean i would love to get on one of those flights that would be fun oh they have a website pondinlet.ca cool visit if you're looking for a vacation destination yeah and enjoy of course, I went to their website and the, the header picture is a hockey rink. Well, I mean, Naturally. there you go. So what else happened in the last couple of weeks? The Air Canada photo flight. That was pretty cool. So Air Canada, like we talked about, God, that was like episode one or something, has a new livery. Mm-hmm. And when an airline rebrands, gets a new livery... They have to update all their literature, all their backgrounds on the IFE. The plane you see on the screen is—it's an actual photo of the plane. Usually, it's not just CGI. So they actually have to take the plane in the new livery up in the sky and take pictures of the damn thing. And so they did. And John Ostror—not once, but twice. Yeah, not
0: once, but twice. And and John Oster, who was a guest of the program a few episodes ago, <laughs> was lucky enough. And, and Jason, we're not jealous at all. We're not, we're not, we're not joking. No, 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 I've,
1: no, 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 he was, no, not at all. He
0: was lucky enough to fly jump seat on the flight deck of the, the 787 that Air Canada took up along with the Wolf Air Learjet. And they did all sorts of things that if it was a regular passenger flight, passengers would be very upset about.
1: Yeah, I've been on one of these flights, not a photo flight, but a delivery flight where we did flybys of some islands, and it's pretty intense when you're on board these things that are doing high banking maneuvers that make the the flight computer yell out overbank and all sorts of fun things that you will never have on a commercial flight.
0: Yeah. If you hear
1: those on a regular commercial flight, not so good, but on a photo flight, very good. Yeah. and Vancouver, especially that part of Canada is absolutely beautiful. But they basically just take it up for a few hours, do some fancy turns, do a lot of formation flight with the Learjet with the special pod mounted cameras, and they have like a periscope and all sorts of fancy things outfitted to the Wolf Air Learjet. And <laughs> they were instructed obviously not to sit in any of the window seats so you don't see like <laughs> yeah. John Ostrower waving in the IFE background image. <laughs> you know what? I-, I had never thought about that, but I, Neither the day yeah. they they sat in a window seat and they were told, "Hey, guys, can you not sit in the window that makes perfect sense. Somebody was thinking ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, you know welfare has been doing this for how many years?
0: I'm sure they've gotten you know but if they know about it, it must have happened well once. and and it will be
1: our duty to to find out where that happened and find that and publicize it. So the next time you are on an Air Canada flight and you see the screen has a picture of one of the new airplanes in scenic Vancouver, that's not CGI. That's a real, very expensive photo shoot. But worth it. Oh, yeah. Every penny or whatever they use in Canada. I, I still think they have pennies.
0: Or did oh, they get right. to Canada get rid of the We're, we're getting
1: off topic. I, I think, Yeah. No, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> that's, that's a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Search iTunes for whatever that might be. Did Canada get rid of
0: the Penny podcast? So, let's stay cold and head over to Russia.
1: Ah, speaking of cold, Siberia.
0: So, Russia has I mean, Jason, you can you're much more well-versed in the the mid-sized
1: Russian aircraft market than I. Yes, I do have the Wikipedia page open, so I'm now an expert. <laughs> so yeah this is a kind of a rare time in aviation where we're getting a lot of new clean sheet aircraft so a couple weeks ago we had the comac c919 which was a pretty spectacular and trans surprisingly transparent first flight and out of russia we have the mc21 which is a competitor to your typical 737 or airbus a320 and that also recently had its first flight, but it was a very different tone than the Chinese C19, 919 first flight. It was pretty sudden, very, I, I don't want to say covert, but it wasn't very public. There was no live stream of it. There was no real To notice. the best of my knowledge, there was no prior announcement. No, it just kind of happened. Right. This aircraft, the first test aircraft, 001, doesn't seem to have ADS-B installed. The test flight was atypically short. Not to say that anything was wrong; it was just a short flight, only thirty minutes, and only an altitude of, according to John Ostrower's CNN article, only up to a thousand feet. I'm sorry, a thousand meters, thirty-three hundred feet, which is pretty pretty low.
0: Yeah, I I mean I don't know what to make of it yet because I mean there's just been so little information that that I've seen. But it's hopefully something we'll get to see a lot more of. And hopefully get some adsb on it or at least some sort of tracking so that we can be able to track the thing yeah so we we don't
1: even know if it's flown again it may have flown again and we just don't know yeah i but (laughs) this yeah maybe (laughs) it knows as far as flying goes i mean it's kind of a big
0: shrug but it as far as the development of the aircraft it's you know first flight's always a major milestone
1: yeah it's kind of a big deal for russia this is their like i said 737 a320 competitor which there hasn't really been a a Russian jet of that size for a long time. We've had the Sukhoi Superjet, which is more of a a smaller 100-seat regional jet and hasn't sold spectacularly well. You're not going to find that much out of really Eastern Europe and Interjet in Mexico, but this thing has the potential to be a a big deal. Yeah, so we'll
0: follow it if we can, I I guess is at, (laughs) at this point what we're talking about. Yeah. Pretty much. So, and new aircraft that have not yet flown this week, we saw the rollout of the Strato launch, which is the world's largest aircraft right now.
1: Yeah. It's pretty big. So back on Wikipedia, oddly, they have this wingspan comparison that they, they keep adding aircraft onto. And for reference, the Boeing 747-8 Intercontinental has a wingspan of 68 and meters. The A380, 79.8 meters. The AN225, which is an absolute monster, is 88.4 meters. The Strato Launch is 117 meters. So that's pretty damn big. big.
0: It's got six engines, I think. Yes, it does. If you're not familiar, and and I'm getting better at this, I'm going to promise to put this in the show notes, and I'm actually going to do it. If you look at a picture of the Strato Launch, it looks like. They cut the AN two two five in half, installed kind of a bridge between the fuselage halves, and called it a new plane. Yeah, pretty much. So I will put a picture of the AN two two five in the show notes, and we will link over to the Strato launch so that everyone can make their own judgments and and hopefully agree with me. It kind of reminds me of the Virgin Galactic White Knight, or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well it it has the same it has the same purpose. I mean, it's the The idea is that it's not a passenger aircraft or anything like that, but what's going to happen, at least the idea behind this, and hopefully it does, is that the the strato launch will be used to launch things, you know, beyond the stratosphere. Into space. Into space. So hopefully we get to see that thing flying soon,
1: and hopefully it has ADS-B, which would be great. The point of this thing is that getting things into space is expensive. Rockets are expensive and have a tendency to explode along the way. So if you can get cargo into the stratosphere, I guess, and launch it from there, it's a lot easier than launching a rocket from ground level.
0: Yeah. And just apropos of nothing, Elon Musk, if you're listening to the podcast, if you could put ADS-B on the SpaceX rockets- Forget that. Take me for a ride. Well, okay. I won't I want go Fair on this enough. thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. starting small.
1: Just oh, I, th- yeah. I think that okay. would be great. We, and small we, favor and we, then work our way up. We get
0: out. requests for that all the time. And, and, and there's nothing I can do about it, but I would <laughs> love it if it happened. So just, you know, that's my, you
1: know, plea into the universe. And that would be fun. Where is this thing now? It's in the Mojave. Okay, I see.
0: Yeah, so it, it's hopefully, I mean, we, we've we got good coverage there. And we've been following the Virgin Galactic, White Knight flights and things like that. So hopefully we can follow it once once we're there.
1: Yeah, watching Virgin Galactics, I guess the powered aircraft and the glider take off at the same time and then separate on flight radar is pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, I, I've been having a lot of fun watching uh, watching that. As what are happens. the two called? It's White Knight and- White Knight and... 2 and then it's Spaceship 2 or VSS Unity is the- That's right. That's it. The new spaceship. Cool. So, and In the show notes, I will put a link to that. I'm making a note so that everyone can, can follow those along. Send all complaints to yes. Ian. at podcast at fr24.com. And go on iTunes if you like the podcast, or if you don't like the podcast and you want to tell us what you don't like so we can make it better. Go on iTunes, leave us a review, give us a rating so that we can continue to make the podcast better and we can expand our listenership to to a wider audience, people that, that might be new. To aviation people that are looking for a place where where they can hear two giant aviation geeks talk about planes and more every couple of weeks, and we really like doing this. We're having a lot of fun. At least I'm having a lot of fun, Jason. Yes, much fun. Jason's having – see I am you know forcing him to say that, but I think we're having a lot of fun. So yes, we want to keep
1: having. We, fun. we are we are listening to your feedback. We're definitely jotting down all your great ideas. We only have so much time each show, and we only have so much knowledge in our brains. So if we get a good topic, we want to do it right. And we want to get someone on the show that knows what the hell they're talking about.
0: And speaking of that, in our next episode, we're going to go talk to people who know a lot more about ATC privatization than we do, both in the US. And we'll we'll try and get some folks who know the system from elsewhere where it's actually happened, like the UK and Canada. And we'll hopefully bring a, a very good, lively discussion in our next episode a few weeks from now. But until then, Thank you so much for listening. Leave us a review, give us some feedback on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And it helps people find find more great content that we're trying to create to grab more people and bring them into Av
1: Geekdom. So help us with that.
0: Thanks for listening. I'm Ian Pechnik, and I'm here
1: with Jason Rabinowitz, and thanks for listening, everyone.
0: This has been another episode of Av Talk. Thanks so much.
1: Bye-bye.